0: So I wonder how you went with that passage during the week. If you're in a uh, in a growth group, uh, how did you tackle that one? I suspect one of the first things you might have argued about uh, was, is this a parable, or isn't it a parable? And uh, I'd have to side on that one with those who say it's not. Actually, funnily enough, uh, in our series on the parables, I actually think that this final parable is not a parable. Uh, Uh, Rather, there's an analogy within this passage, uh, that one of a shepherd separating the sheep and the goats, but uh, the passage itself is is more like, um, I guess, a conclusion uh, to all the parables and to Jesus' teaching and to this section in chapters 24 and 25 where Jesus, as we've seen, is answering the disciples' question uh, about the time of his return and the end of the age when will be the time of your coming remember they asked in chapter 24 verse 3 and what will be the signs of the end of the age and of course uh, here it begins with not uh, not um, a parable or an analogy but when the son of man comes so he's actually speaking more plainly here in this passage than uh, he does in the parable but where he speaks by analogy when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. So, uh, not a parable today, uh, and yet still very much God's word, the word of Jesus, uh, the true word of Jesus about how things will unfold uh, in the times ahead, and a word that He speaks, uh, that He spoke to His disciples, and that He speaks for all disciples, all followers of Jesus, so that we would know not only what lies ahead, but uh, how, where to uh, live until then. Uh, how about you pray with me and then we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, that Jesus spoke these words. Uh, even though uh, there's a real challenge to them, uh, we ask that you'll prepare our hearts now to, uh, to be challenged, in fact, to welcome that challenge, to welcome the, the voice of our Lord and Saviour, as he speaks into our lives, not assuming that we've worked it all out or that we are uh, living fully in line with his will, but rather uh, just desiring to do so, so that as we hear his word, your spirit would be active in our hearts, enabling us to accept it and to live in light of it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well... Sometimes it turns out that the Bible says neither what you thought it said or what you wanted it to say. Uh, and that's certainly been the case for me this week. I've been on a journey, it seems to be happening a lot lately, but the parables or at least uh, you know, parable-like passages seem to throw up uh, some real challenges and what they seem to be saying uh, perhaps isn't exactly what they are saying. Now the meaning of this passage hangs really on one phrase. I don't know if this is what you discovered as you were looking at it, but I think it hangs really on one phrase in particular. And that is, in verse 40, who is Jesus referring to as the least of these brothers and sisters of mine? It's a fairly clear story at one level, or fairly clear description that Jesus gives of how things will unfold on this uh, this last day, the day of his return and judgment. In verse 40, the king, Jesus, will reply. I think that's, by the way, another reason that we tend to read this like a parable is because Jesus refers to himself in the third person a lot, uh, which is story-like. Uh, But anyway, the king will reply, truly I tell you, so he's talking to those uh, who he's called the righteous at this point, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now the reason that is the key phrase is because it's uh, how people treat the least of these brothers and sisters of mine that the king says determines everything, determines everything whether they're on his right or on his left, determines whether they depart to eternal fire or whether they are welcomed into eternal life, into his kingdom. So you can see why it's so important, the identity of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. Now, there have been lots of answers proposed for uh, who that might be referring to. In fact, too many for us to cover today. But I think here are two, and perhaps... Uh, the main two options that are often presented. Firstly, uh, it's often thought that the least of these brothers and sisters of mine refers to anybody in need. Anybody in need in the world, particularly those in physical need. And it's not hard to see where that uh, understanding would come from uh, based on the substantial list of physical needs that Jesus refers to in verses 35 and 36 and then repeats in verses 42 and 43. Have a look at that list. Uh, We've got hunger, verse 35, thirst, I was a stranger, I needed clothes, I was sick, I was in prison. Six different identifiers and although you could say some of them might be, uh, I guess, sort of emotional or relational needs, at their heart they are physical needs. And so I think that often a passage, or this passage, has been used to encourage people to care for anybody in need as they have opportunity. Now there are plenty of places, of course, in the Bible that do teach that very ethic. You don't have to go searching too hard. Think of in the Old Testament, the gleaning laws. You know, often we think of Israel as a holy, set-apart people, and that they were, and and they were supposed to be, and yet they had laws built in that would welcome the stranger, that would welcome the outcast, that would actually provide for their needs. So uh, the gleaning laws, you might know them best from the story of Ruth, Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth the foreigner, and yet when she comes back with her mother-in-law, Naomi, when she returns to the land, the way that they... uh, you know intend to eke out a living is through uh, following along after the harvesters to glean uh, from the edges of the field, which was actually written in to Israelite law so that those who didn't belong could be welcomed and cared for and their needs could be met. Uh, that's in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, a, a really good example would be the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, where Jesus says, "Go and do likewise." Be like that good Samaritan. Be like the one who cared for the needs of the person uh, who was dying in the gutter. Now, on this interpretation, if we're, if that's the interpretation that we're taking of this passage, then Jesus is quite clearly saying, go and do likewise. He's quite clearly saying, whatever opportunity God puts in front of you to meet the physical needs of another, love that person or do to that person as you would have them do to you. Now, there's plenty of biblical warrant for that concept, but it's not actually what he's saying here. I'm fairly confident of that. It's not what this phrase, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, is referring to. And the main reason for that is because of the reference to them as brothers and sisters. Uh, And so the second alternative, as to who it might be referring to, is narrowing things down a little to God's people who are in need, meeting the needs of uh, the brothers and sisters of Jesus. Um, Now, to show you uh, a helpful passage from Matthew's Gospel in understanding why uh, some people understand it this way. Chapter 12 of Matthew verses 49 and 50. So the scene here is where uh, Jesus' mother and brothers come uh, to speak to him and Jesus replies when he's told that they're outside, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus uh, radically teaches that he is creating, or that God is creating, a new family. Uh, And it's a family made up of all those uh, who do the will of the Father. And uh, Jesus, therefore, on that basis, calls his disciples his brothers and sister and mother. Now, again, there are plenty of passages Passages in the Bible, plenty of places that you could point to that give priority to God's people in this way, where God says, uh, You should love those who belong to me in a special way. Plenty of places in the Old Testament, that was the nature of Israel, that they were God's set apart holy people and uh, his family. And of course, read any of the New Testament letters, and they're full of injunctions to love one another. And the one another is the church. Those who live together with God as father and each other as brother and sister. And so on this interpretation, Jesus is saying, love one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. When you see somebody in need, meet it. Because they belong to your father in heaven. Now if you had asked me last week or during this week even in fact even on Friday if you'd asked me what I thought this this passage was talking about or who I thought this phrase was talking about that would have been what I said. In fact if you got my email on Friday and you read that I think I even sort of referred to this week's passage in that in that light in that way. Sadly, I had a long day yesterday wrestling with the passage and with other passages and thinking, you know what, closer, but still not quite there. So who are they then? Who are these people that Jesus identifies so closely with that he says, how you treat them is how you treat me and how you treat them will determine your eternal destiny? Well, I think to answer that question, we need to explore why they are in need. Why they are hungry? Why are they thirsty? etc.? Why Why are they in prison? What's going on? Now, I don't think Matthew 25 has the answer to that question. But I do think that Matthew 10 does. If you've got a Bible... I encourage you right now to find Matthew chapter 10 because we're going to spend a little bit of time here and I want you to see what I've seen. I don't mean it's not a boast at all, it's just what is in in the word here. Now the context of Matthew chapter 10 Is Jesus, as you probably see by a heading there in your Bible, Jesus is sending his disciples out uh, on their gospel mission, proclaiming the kingdom and driving out, uh, healing and driving out demons as a manifestation of the coming of that kingdom and a confirmation of the gospel message that they're taking out. And at the end of Matthew 10, we read this. Verse 40, anyone who welcomes you, as you go out on this mission, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. He might have picked up a few little things there, a few similarities. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me. Jesus says in Matthew 25, uh, whoever, uh, you know, what does he say? Sorry, get it right. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. He identifies himself with them. Uh, he calls them little ones, very similar to the least of these. Uh, he refers to a reward there that comes to those who receive those prophets or righteous people. Uh, And he even mentions a cup of cold water being given uh, to those who come with the message. But that's not all. If you go back through the chapter, you'll see many more clues, I think, that point us in this direction. Uh, Verse 9, for example. The disciples are told as they go that they are not to take any gold or silver or copper in their belts. So they don't have any money to buy anything. They don't have any money to buy food. They're not to take a bag for the journey, so no, no food with them or extra shirt, no extra clothes or sandals. They may be in need of clothing or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Uh, we see there that uh, when they enter a place, when whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. So they're looking for somewhere where though they are a stranger, they will be welcomed in. Verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. There's at least the potential for hunger and need of clothing. Uh, they're told, they're warned that they'll be flogged. That may be, you know, sickness, the result of that. They're told that they will be thrown into prison. In fact, everything that Jesus refers to in Matthew 25 is also referred to here in chapter 10 of these little ones. These little ones who were to take the gospel uh, out first to Israel uh, and then further afield, even to the Gentiles and their kings, even to the world. So back in Matthew 25, then, the needy described there I believe, are not simply people who've fallen on hard times and who need people to care for them. They're not even simply disciples who find themselves in need. Rather, they are disciples who are in need because they're engaging in gospel ministry, because they're declaring the gospel of Jesus in order to see people saved and to enter his kingdom. I think that interpretation, that understanding of who the least of these brothers and sisters of mine represent or are, also makes a lot of sense of why it's so crucial how people receive them, how people respond to them. Because they're the messengers of the gospel. These are the people who take the good news. And to receive them connotes or suggests, or actually really explains that the gospel is also being received. It's not just the messengers, but the message that are being received here. And that makes a lot of sense of the eternal consequences in view, the eternal consequences that result. When we receive those who bring the gospel... As bearers of the gospel, we receive not only the messenger but the message. And when we receive the message, we receive the one who is at the heart of the message, don't we? We receive Jesus himself. And I think that's what's happening here. That's what's in view here. That on the last day, the judgment will be made not on whether we have cared for the sick primarily, although, as I've said, that's entirely appropriate and good and in line with Jesus' teaching in other places in the teaching of the Bible. But eternity will rest on whether we receive the gospel via its messengers, whether we receive Christ and put our trust in him through the message that is brought to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, Now, you could ask, well, if this is right, why doesn't Jesus make it simpler? <laughs> why doesn't he just say, come because you've received the gospel or depart because you have rejected the gospel? Why does he focus on the reception of the messengers rather than the reception of the message? I think it's because in Matthew's gospel, he is highlighting the crucial role of gospel messengers in taking that gospel message out. In fact, if I were to ask you, what is the climax of Matthew's gospel, I wouldn't mark you wrong if you said the death of Jesus on the cross or his resurrection from the grave, but I think that Matthew's gospel climaxes at the very end, where the risen Lord Jesus sends his disciples out to make disciples of every nation under heaven. See, this is why Matthew highlights the gospel messengers, because he wants all his disciples, he wants all, sorry, Jesus wants all his disciples to be gospel messengers, to actually be people who take the message out. I think the tendency here is to see ourselves as the ones who are receiving the messengers. And and of course, we have to be at first. You can't become a disciple unless you have heard the gospel and put your trust in Jesus. But from that moment on, you actually become a messenger. You actually become someone who is entrusted with the message. And I think that's what's going on here. So what are the implications then if this is, what, if this is who is being referred to and this is what the, uh, the passage is about? Well, firstly, if there's anyone here this morning who is not already a disciple, a follower of Jesus, then you need to hear clearly that your eternal destiny hangs on whether you receive this message. And I stand before you, even though I'm not hungry or thirsty or in prison, or I stand before you as a messenger, a messenger of this gospel, and I appeal to you in the name of Jesus, to put your faith in him and receive the reward that he longs to give you, the inheritance that he has prepared from before the beginning, from before the creation of the world. Please hear the good news that when Jesus died on the cross, he did it so that your sin, your rejection of God's rule in your life could be forgiven and forgotten, could be pardoned completely when Jesus rose from the grave, he came to you to offer eternal life. The life that he had won, he offers you. So please, if you're not a disciple yet, decide today to receive that message, to receive the one who's at its heart, to receive Jesus and put your trust in him. But I know that many of you have already done that. You might even be able to remember who brought that message to you. Perhaps it was parents or grandparents or another family member. Perhaps many people were involved, people in a church. Perhaps there was a close friend who shared with you their faith in Jesus and you accepted that message and probably because you accepted them as well. There's a relationship there between the message and the messenger. And if that's you, then you are a disciple, aren't you? You're a disciple of Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. You're someone who calls Jesus both Saviour and Lord. You're someone who hears his commands and you want to do his will. And part of his will and his command and his goodwill for your life is that you be part of the proclamation, the declaration of his message in whatever way he enables for you. Now, one reason, I guess, I've got to say I didn't want that to be what this parable is about is because that's a hard role to play. I think that most of us find it hard. Maybe some of us don't, but I think that most of us find it hard to send to declare that message. To go to friends, colleagues, neighbours, family and to search hard, to find opportunity to share the truth about Jesus with them. I think most of us would find it a lot easier to give someone a drink, to feed them in their hunger, to give them some clothes, to visit in prison even. But there is something about passing on the good news of Jesus that cramps us up. But Jesus says, this is our responsibility. This is how the kingdom grows. This is is the responsibility handed on by the king. And it suggests from the description of those who do go, thirsty, hungry, needing clothes, shelter, even being put in prison, it suggests that it is hard work. It suggests that we should expect some kind of rejection along the way, whatever that might look like, some kind of hardship. And yet, I think Jesus calls each one of us to be part of that work. So, I think one of the implications of the passage is that we need to Reevaluate how we're living and how we're approaching the opportunities that we do have. Or maybe if we don't feel we have any opportunities, we need to make some to share the gospel because eternity hangs on it. And as well as being engaged ourselves in gospel ministry, I think one of the implications of the passage is that we support gospel ministry that where we know people who uh, have given up many things, as Jesus commanded his disciples to, to go on mission, we just heard about Graham and Beth, we were praying for them. Over in Central Asia, COVID, actually having COVID, being unable to return home, we're in partnership with Graham and Beth. What does that partnership look like for you? At the very least, and I'm not saying it's a small thing, but at the very least, we ought to be praying, shouldn't we? And not just once a week or once a month when they appear on the list at church, but actually praying for them on a regular basis, praying that God would meet their needs, praying that their mission would be fruitful, supporting those who suffer for their declaration, for their proclamation of the gospel. I think that's uh, how Jesus' teaching wraps up. And it looks forward, anticipates Matthew 28, uh, the end of the gospel, but not the end of the gospel mission. And so as we finish this series, uh, we've heard a lot from from Jesus about what it means to build a life of faith in him. I hope you've been encouraged, maybe um, by some of the teaching along the way, but I don't want to lose this focus at the end, that Jesus calls all disciples to be people who bear the message, who play their part in gospel ministry, and to support those who do. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father. We thank you that Jesus, that we have good news to share in Jesus. We thank you that he did give his life on the cross so that the doors of your kingdom could be thrown open. Thank you that it's his desire and his will that many put their faith in him and received the gift of eternal life. Father, you, your son is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep and he wants to welcome many into his fold. Father, we thank you that those of us who have trusted in Jesus can be confident that we will be welcomed into his kingdom when he returns as the judge but Father, please forgive us for the ways in which we haven't accepted the responsibility of engaging in the work of the gospel, being happy to receive the good fruit, the good rewards that come from simply trusting in Jesus and yet not doing all that we could to see others receive that gift as well. So, Father, please help us, whatever our circumstances and whatever our opportunities, to be prayerful, looking for opportunities to speak the name of Jesus, urgent to do so, even if it comes at a cost to us, but trusting that your spirit is powerful and able to turn people around and bring them from death to life. And help us also to be mindful and supportive of those we know who are, who are paying the price, who are going without because uh, they're engaging in gospel work in the world. Uh, help us to be prayerful but also looking for any ways that we can contribute uh, to their work, supporting them financially, being in touch with them, visiting, if that's possible, whatever it takes, Father, to see your kingdom spreading and growing to the ends of the earth. And, Father, we thank you that Jesus has promised to be with us in this endeavour, all the way through, even to the very end of the age. We pray in his name. Amen.